Hello and welcome to the St Edmunds Podcast. I'm Simon Cowley. And I'm Kevin McRae-Jones. And you've not been on the podcast before? No, I've not been on the podcast before, quite rightly. <laughs> Why do you say that? I, I, I'm not a podcasting uh, guru. Well, you're not a guru, but you're on the podcast now, so welcome. Thank you. And you're here in what capacity? I'm here in, in my capacity as the editor and originator of the Apex course, which is the Acute Psychiatric Emergencies course. Okay, but you will be known to many people for doing a lot of other stuff, both through the college, through Emergency Medicine UK, through research, and setting up the original APLS courses here with the Advanced Life Support Group. Yeah, way, way back, 1992. So a a long history in organising and delivering courses which aid pretty much people across the world around how they manage different emergencies. But there's been this sort of void in our approach to emergencies. We've done lots of stuff around medical problems, cardiac, trauma, obstetrics. Psychiatry has not really had the, the kind of similar approach that we've had with other life support courses. Why is that? I think it's because we think it's their problem, them being the psychiatrists, them being the liaison nurses. And our approach to it is to identify it as their problem and then hand it across to them, as opposed to co-own the problem. We, we have a really big issue in that... Sometimes these patients have physical and psychological illnesses. In fact, quite often they have physical and psychological illnesses. And we divide the patients into two bits, the psychological bit and the physical bit. And ours is the physical bit, theirs is the psychological bit. We don't get involved in the management of that psychology or even in in the assessment of that psychology, which is an error. I think you're right. And if you look at some of the data, and this is where I think I should have looked something up before we started is the outcomes for patients with psychiatric disease in terms of their physical disease is, is terrible, actually. They have really bad outcomes. Well, they, they certainly do, because quite a lot of their physical disease is, is left to one side by the patient themselves because they're in psychological torment. And if we further reinforce that by pretending that these are two completely different things and we, we don't manage them as a team approach, then that's, that's just going to compound that. I, I agree. These patients are common. It's it's 5 to 6% of our attendances, and that's putting to one side substance abuse. If you include substance abuse, it's a very significant proportion of the attendances at emergency departments. And as emergency physicians, we have a duty to manage these patients, just as we'd manage the 5% that come with cardiac chest pain. The more you think about it, the more odd it sounds that we do do pretty much exactly what you said, is get somebody who comes through the door with an apparent psychiatric problem, And we're either asked, or maybe we we like doing it because we're unsure about our management of psychiatric patients, is just exclude the physical problem or say there's not enough physical problem for this person to need admission and then send them off to psych. And that order of process often happens, doesn't it? We're often required to make them medically fit before psychiatry will even engage. Absolutely. The term is to clear them. Clear them medically and then hand them across. And, And that epitomises the problem we have, which is my problem is the physical problem, your problem is the psychological problem. But actually, in the middle of this is a patient with physical and psychological problems, and we need to deal with them as we would deal with any other patient. Yeah, the more I think about it, it's insane. We have these sort of crazy rules, don't we? If the pulse is 101, they're not medically fit. And if the pulse is 99, they're potentially medically fit. It's, it's insane. It's not quite as algorithmic as that, is it? It's they're mad, therefore it's your problem. They're not mad, therefore it's mine. Sometimes, and in justification, sometimes we do send people to psychiatry who have an organic problem. So clearly this joint assessment thing has to work. To work. It does. We need to remember that psychiatrists are doctors uh, and that emergency physicians are trained in psychiatry as part of their training. But we're not trained well enough, and that's what the APEX course is about. It's about trying to systematise the training for the management of acute psychiatric emergencies. 
So tell me a little bit more about how the system works or how the approach in Apex is different to, say, how I might have been taught to do psychiatry as a medical student. Okay, so no emergency physician will be surprised by the approach in Apex. A lot of psychiatrists will be surprised by the approach in Apex because, believe it or not, the approach in Apex is to have a primary assessment and resuscitation, a secondary assessment, definitive care, phases to the care of the patient. So nobody will be surprised who's listening to this podcast, I suspect, about the approach that we've taken in the assessment and management of psychiatric emergencies. In particular, we've tried to come up with an ABC. Now, we couldn't come up with an ABC apart from always be careful, (laughs) uh, which wasn't particularly helpful. But we've come up with AIOU because psychiatry is complicated, so they deserve to have the vowels of the alphabet. A being the assessment of aggression and agitation. E being the environment in which you're assessing the patient. I being the intent of the patient, O being the objects that the patient has to carry out any intent that they have, and U being the unified assessment. Why is it unified? Because we're suggesting that emergency physicians should also apply ABC, because the management of the airway, breathing and circulation is equally important in a patient with a psychiatric problem, and some of them do have airway problems. Just yesterday when I was on call, we were dealing with patients with substance misuse who had airway problems and breathing problems, so when they've sorted the airway and breathing problems, you need to then go on and assess them from a psychiatric and psychological perspective. And implicit within that, of course, is the fact that these aren't serial tasks. These are things that can occur in parallel. Yes, absolutely. And, and who's, who's best at doing the ABC, the emergency physician? Who's best at doing the AIU? Well, the emergency physician, while they're doing the ABC. Okay, so where did this AIU come from? Apart from a, a nice algorithm, is there some science that backs that up? Well, there's no science as there's any science that backs up any good brief approach to systematising a subject. But it's, uh, it came about, the whole course has been co-written by psychiatrists and emergency physicians. That's the, the main message that we need to get across. This is not just emergency medicine saying, this is how you deal with psychiatry. This is about psychiatry and emergency medicine coming together to come up with an approach to the management of acute psychiatric emergencies. The AEIOU came about because of the concept that psychiatrists have of dynamic risk assessment. And they they have this approach to the risk to themselves and to the patient at every interaction. And when we wrote it down on paper and we looked at it, we realised that it could be formed into a nice approach to the assessment of the problem, the AEIOU approach, which we thought would appeal to emergency physicians who like ABC, and they like the primary assessment, the resuscitation phase. So the outputs for the ABC clearly are the resuscitation that we know and love, the outputs for the AIOU on the management of flight risk, the management of aggression, and the the management of acute agitation. So the only resuscitation from the perspective of the psychiatric emergency would be whether rapid tranquilisation and restraint were required. And then you go on to the secondary assessment, and you you have an approach to the physical assessment, which you would normally have, which is a systems approach, And you have an approach to the psychological and psychiatric problems, which is a mental state-driven approach. So it it fits into the the general approach that emergency physicians have to the management of emergencies. Okay, so a couple of things. Firstly, there's a squirrel just passed as we were talking. And as an emergency physician, I've got an attention span of a Labrador. So just remind me again what AEIOU stands for. Okay, aggression and agitation is the A. E is the environment in which you see the patient. I is the intent of the patient. That can be flight intent or intent in terms of suicidal ideation or or harm to others. 
and O are the objects which the patient may or may not have and hopefully doesn't have with which to carry out their intent. The U is the unified assessment that you make after an ABC and an AEIO U. Okay, so a little bit of space repetition there, because we like a bit of educational theory when we do the podcast. I know, so and I good. never saw the squirrel. So. Okay, well, yeah, you're not as easily distracted as I am. Well, maybe I was t- task, task, task focused. Focused, yeah. yeah, perhaps. I don't know. Just going back to the sedation or the uh, rapid tranquilisation, that, that is an area which concerns a lot of people in emergency medicine. And again, and I know we're trying to get away from the this is your problem, this is my problem, but we have in the past had these difficult conversations that this person can't be rapidly tranquilised because they're waiting for an assessment and versus if you do give them a rapid tranquilisation then they're not then suitable for assessment. I've always found this a really difficult thing to sort out. Well, I think if you think about psychiatric patients and you divide them into various layers of risk, at the very top there's extreme risk. There's extreme risk of violence to self or violence to others and those are the patients who in general require rapid tranquilisation. Rapid tranquilisation in many emergency physicians' minds it involves a syringe and a needle, but it doesn't necessarily have to involve a syringe and a needle. And the principle of the course is that you go to the minimum level of intervention that you require. So if you can persuade the patient to take oral medication to rapidly tranquilise them, that's good. If you can't, then you need to safely rapidly tranquilise these patients. And the approach tends to be benzodiazepines with, together with vitamin H, perhaps haloperidol, or some of the modern antipsychotic agents such as olanzapine. Hey, what about, as in there in the literature, a lot of people in the blogosphere or Twitter sphere or whatever, their, their drug of choice under these circumstances is often ketamine, because yeah. it's, it's all very trendy and cool. But actually that hasn't been the practice with our psychiatric team. No, it hasn't, and it's very interesting debates that we have. Psychiatrists in general are not aware of the properties of ketamine, although of course there's been some recent talk about the use of ketamine in in severe depression but they're not generally au fait as a lot of our anaesthetic colleagues were when we started using ketamine so much of the properties of ketamine uh, i i use ketamine myself for rapid tranquilization and it, it's usually successful not necessarily long lasting but successful okay so it's still out there as a potential yeah. but it, but you're right i think i do see a lot more of our patients when we're dealing with the psychiatric teams being treated and actually pretty successfully with Things like olanzapine or oral medications. Oral lorazepam, yeah. Yeah. I think, again, you know, it's whether the squirrel walks past the window again, but we feel that we've got to do interventions around resuscitation. They've got to be achieved very, very quickly, but we really don't always need to do that. You need to make things safer. Um, One of the messages of of the course is that you have to staff your areas of psychiatry risk in an appropriate way. If you think you need to contain and restrain a patient, then you need to have a full CNR team available to you, which is often a, a rate-limiting step in an emergency department. Uh, you can't just wade in with a syringe and, and inject somebody because they don't cooperate so well. No, most people are not very keen on that. The worst that can happen if you give them an oral medication is they spit it out or throw it in your face, which is slightly less risky. It is, and I suppose it fits with the idea that we should recognise that any intervention we make with a patient has potential risks. And in this group of patients, where we often don't know exactly what's going on with them at the point where we'll be making those decisions, then we need to be really cognisant of those risks. Yeah, absolutely. Psychiatry is a risk-driven specialty, isn't it, in, in the main? It's about assessing the risk of violent behaviour, assessing the risk of flight, assessing the risk of harm to self and others. A lot of stages in the process. 
and we need to minimise those risks along the way. But we don't necessarily need to minimise the risks instantly. We can take a bit of time. And often the patients have been under that level of risk for a considerable period of time. And it's a bit like diabetes, isn't it? You see somebody with DKA and the, the gases are terrible and you feel like you've got to make them better in five minutes. Well, actually, it took them a hell of a long time to get that point. We can probably come out of it a little bit more gently. Yeah, and it, it probably is going to be more physiological when they come out of it gently than if they come out of it precipitously. So that's about a structured approach to both the psychiatric assessment and the physical assessment. This course is aimed both at psychiatrists and emergency physicians? Yeah, it's aimed, it's aimed at both. The model really was APLS, and if you remember when APLS came out, there was a lot of uh, talk of not being able to distill the whole of emergency paediatrics into a three-day course, and we've had some challenge with that uh, from psychiatrists. So we've invented, we invited psychiatrists to write the course with us, we've invited psychiatrists to come on the course with us, and the feedback's been positive both from psychiatry trainees and from mental health liaison nurses that there is something that they learn within the course. So it's not about psychiatrists teaching emergency physicians how to do it. It's about psychiatrists and emergency physicians getting together to learn both with and from each other about the problems that they have. I think a lot of the problem, which we touched on earlier in this podcast, is that we see this bit of the problem as yours and this bit of the problem as mine. Depending on our perspective, it's the opposite side of the problem. And the course is very much about saying, this is our problem, how are we going to manage it? And we talk a lot about co-assessment, we talk about risk management, we talk about risk assessment a lot in the course. Another area which we often struggle with is those patients who have psychiatric type symptoms as a result of substance abuse. And you mentioned that group at the beginning. They're also sometimes a challenge for us to work out exactly what's going on and how do we approach that group. Is that something you cover on the course as well? We we take a a symptom-based approach to the type of patient. So we, we talk particularly about the patient with delirium, the confused patient, the aggressive patient, the agitated patient, the patient who is self-harmed. And those are the titles of the chapters in the book that accompanies the course. So we do talk about real life things. We, we don't go along and say, this is how you deal with this problem, this is how you deal with that problem. It's very much simulation based and it's about assessing the risk from the top down and coming up with joint solutions to the risk. And part of the problem is, what is the problem? What I mean by that is part of the problem that we face is defining what the problem that underpins the patient's symptoms are. And as you quite rightly say, substance abuse, particularly the the spice epidemic we've witnessed locally, uh, often underlies some very aggressive and uh, violent behaviour. And it's not at all sure because there's no history available from the patient and the bystander witness histories aren't particularly specific. It's not certain what exactly has been taken. So we, we deal with things symptomatically in that regard. So this is a group of patients who are in our emergency departments now. You talked about about 5% of the patients coming through the door. Well, in our department, in Verchester, it's 5.93%. Because remarkably accurate. We've had a look on our triage figures, so we know. So that's quite a lot. So this is a huge number of patients. It's one in 20 patients. So 5% doesn't sound as many as one in 20, but one in 20 patients have got direct psychological, psychiatric symptomatology that's driven them to the emergency department. Probably if you included substance abuse and you include alcohol in that, it's somewhere between 15 and 20% of patients have got a psychological root to their problem. And if you include drinking behaviours, it's probably... 30 to 40% who have got a psychological component of their problem. It's remarkable that we're having to have this talk at this time and that we've not approached this before in a systematic and systematised way. It's interesting, just from an organisational point of view, that wherever I go, I go to lots of emergency departments around the country, 
we'll always pretty much, well, I think we have to now, I think it's in the rules, we've got to have a paediatric lead for each emergency department that sees children. I don't think there's a requirement for us to have a mental health lead. I don't think there is. But it's a huge group of patients with significant risk, significant morbidity, and actually mortality as well, because the life expectancy of patients who have severe psychiatric disease is far lower. Because they engage in dangerous behaviours, don't they? Right. So, worthwhile going on the course. It's multi-professional, I think it's worth saying. It's multi-professional, it, it's multi-specialty, and it's multi-fun. <laughs> multi-fun, OK. So, worthwhile going on. Teaches a structured approach. This is all done under the charity of ALSG. So this isn't your own personal course that you're buying a Ferrari with? I think I'd have to run a lot of courses to buy a Ferrari. I've never looked at the prices. It's never crossed my mind. No, this is Advanced Life Support Group, uh, which is based in in Manchester. And of course, they've got a a, a tremendous reputation for delivering medical education using both face-to-face simulation and online learning resources. So if you've done APLS for example, or MIMS or HIMS or something like that, you'd be familiar with the, the structure and the organisation that underpins this. So, final thoughts from me. I think it's really interesting, actually. I think the idea that we're only coming to this now is actually quite frightening. It's made me stop and think about the group of patients that I see, because I think that dichotomous approach is something which I'm probably guilty of, and I think most of my colleagues are as well. And psychiatrists too. Yeah, and... Maybe we need to challenge that. So this is um, one of the first steps on a road to getting a more patient-focused approach. Yes, the patient is at the centre of this, and that's the most important thing. Great. So if you want to know more, how do you find out? Well, you can go on the website, alsg.org, and you'll find a description of the courses and when they're going to be run. You've missed the one in Switzerland, so hard luck on that, but uh, it's going to be one in Egypt later in the year. Okay, and there'll be centres across the UK? There'll be centres across the UK. We're running some in, in East Midlands. Later on, it's going to the southwest of England uh, this year. And there are going to be more courses in, in Verchester or Manchester, as we sometimes call it, uh, later on in the year as well. OK, fantastic. So we'll give it a rest there. That is your first appearance on the podcast after trying to drag you on it for several months, if not years. What do you think? Oh, it, was, it was such fun. <laughs> so you'll be back again soon? I will. I'm, I'm de-escalation. De-escalation. Okay. Thank you so much. Enjoy your emergency medicine.